Okay. Well, let's take our Bibles this evening. Let's go to Galatians chapter 1, all right? Galatians chapter 1 is where we will be. Galatians chapter 1. In the Word of God. I'm thankful we have a Bible, aren't you? And we can study it together, that we can feed off the Word of God and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that we have the Word of God. And I'm thankful we can go through each book together, verse by verse, line by line, chapter by chapter. And by the grace of God, I want to do that, all right? God lets me preach long enough, live long enough, do that, that whole, uh, whole thing all the way through the whole entire Bible. But uh, not today, all right? But we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1 this, this evening. Now, as we've come to Galatians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 9 in just a moment. And then as you're turning there, please keep in mind the overview or the bird's eye view of the book of Galatians as a whole. I think as we do that, it'll help us to keep all the context in mind of why Paul is writing and that kind of thing. So keep in mind the overview, all right? Paul is writing around the time period of 55 to 60 AD. He's writing to the churches in Galatia, in that region of Galatia. There's many churches, many cities, and many believers in this region. But Paul is writing to the churches of Galatia. He's writing for this reason. There are false teachers that have crept in and began to teach another gospel, began to preach another gospel. False preachers, false teachers creeping in and leading God's people astray unto another gospel, all right? So, with all this going on, Paul, lovingly yet sternly, sits down, picks up his pen, and begins to write and contend for the faith, begins to warn the sheep that they're being led astray by another gospel, which is not the real deal, all right? And he does this, why? Because he loves truth. He loves the gospel, and he loves Jesus, and he loves the church. So he writes all these things because of that motivation. There is no other motivation for Paul other than I love Jesus and I want to serve him. All right. These other false teachers had many other motivations, but that was definitely not theirs because they love the Lord and love truth. No, they love themselves and want a gathering after themselves. All right. But Paul sits down and begins to write and he says these words. And verse, we'll start in verse number one, go down through verse number nine. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from the present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse number six. He jumps into the meat of what he's trying to say. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any men preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Now we began looking at these verses last Wednesday. We took note, notice of two things thus far. We saw in the first few verses, verses 1 through 5, we found Paul's authority. And really you find that in the very first phrase of this book of the Bible when Paul says, Paul, an apostle. He was letting the Galatians know it wasn't just anyone writing uh, to the churches in Galatia. Not just anybody. Not just any other teacher, any other preacher, any other apostle. No, it was the apostle Paul writing to them, the very man that they loved. 
the very man that loved them, the very man who brought the gospel of Christ to them to begin with and preached unto them the gospel of Christ to begin with. This is Paul that they highly respected and whom they highly loved and who he highly loved them. This is not just any man. No, this is Paul. And so that carried a lot of weight with these individuals as it should. It carried a lot of authority. So Paul's letting it be known, look, it's me writing to you. I'm writing to you not as a servant, not as a fellow soldier, fellow laborer, but rather as an apostle. Again, establishing the authority behind this written letter to the churches. He says, look, I'm an apostle Paul, the one who Jesus has sent, commissioned me to come to you. Remember, that's who it is. He's establishing his authority, letting them know who's writing unto them. Then we saw this, all right? We saw this. This is kind of where we camped out a little while. But we saw Paul's astonishment. Now, again, Paul uses a word that should have uh, really humbled the readers, especially if the readers had any kind of spiritual sensitivity about themselves at all. But he says this in verse number 6. Look at it again. He says in verse number 6, I marvel because you're so soon removed from him that called you unto Another gospel, or another gospel, unto, I'm sorry, moved from him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto another gospel. But he uses this word, the word marvel. Now, we looked at this last time, and because we want to be reminded of it, because it carries the idea of a surprise, but not a surprise, as in a happy sense of surprise, but rather this marvel here is a sense of surprise as a disheartened surprise. This is a disheartening surprise, and it would come from something very unexpected. So, Paul was unexpectedly surprised and heartbroken that these believers that he loved, he taught, he helped, he preached to were so soon, made a hasty decision, so soon removed from the grace of Jesus Christ to another gospel. He was shocked by it. He was astonished by it because it was unexpected. So we see he was astonishment. He marveled, just absolutely floored by this. We've all had that emotion, that experience before, no doubt, by a friend or a loved one or whoever. You're just shocked by something they did, shocked by something they said, and it floored you. Look, take that emotion and put it into the text at this moment because that's how Paul is feeling, okay? So we see his authority, we see his astonishment. And then number three, here's what we dive into this, this evening. We dive into this, number three, look at this, another gospel. All right, look at verse number six again. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ, here it is, unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. All right, notice again in verse number six, this word, another, another gospel. This word, another, in the Greek is this, it's heteros, all right, which means opposite, and meaning the opposite of nature the opposite in form, the opposite in class, and even the opposite in kind. So this another just means something that is completely, absolutely, polarizingly different. And of course, in the context, what he's referring to... Somebody give me your gun. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, shoot that thing. No, but uh, what he's referring to is uh, what's polar opposite here is referring to another God, is, a, is the gospel, a completely different gospel than the true, real gospel. The another gospel is completely different than what Paul has preached to them. Now, in order to know that something is different, that something is not exactly the same, that something is false, that means you need to know what is true. 
what is genuine, what is right. Would you say yes to that? To know what's wrong, you need to know what's right. To know what's true, you need to know what's, or to know what's false, you need to know what's true. Would that, would that be an accurate statement? Okay. I've been told that people who, uh, who are very good at spotting counterfeits, whether it's counterfeit money, whether it's counterfeit jewels or whatever, they're very good at spotting this, not because they study counterfeits. Understand counterfeits, they change with the wind. There's something new counterfeit every day, right? They don't study counterfeits. What they study is the real thing. So someone who's very good at identifying a diamond, guess what they, they have studied? They have studied true, real diamonds. Someone that's very good at, at uh, identifying a ruby, a true, genuine ruby, is somebody that has studied, not the counterfeits of rubies, but the real deal. Uh, someone who's very good at identifying a fake $20 bill is somebody who's studied the real thing, not just, or not the counterfeits. And so you would have to put this into perspective, all right? Please know these believers, they knew the real thing. They knew the truth. They knew the real, true gospel. They had the real thing, but how did they know? Again, Paul, he preached to them in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 14 through 43. For time's sake, I won't read that. But if you'd like to mark that in your margin of your Bible, you can read it for yourself later. Now, this is when Paul came to this area of Galatia itself to preach to them. And he preached the pure, true gospel of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 13, verses 14 through 43. But especially in verse 38 and 39, he makes it very clear. He says these words, be it known unto you. Actually, let's look at that. All right, I want, I want to read that, those two verses for, for us this evening. Acts chapter 13, look at it with me if you will, if you like to. Acts chapter 13 is where we'll be, and let's read at least those two verses of verse 38 and 39, all right? Because here's what the Bible says. Paul preaching to these individuals, be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, talking about Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, that's Jesus, by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. But he's, he starts out with these two words as he comes to the close of the end of his message he's preaching. He says, be it known unto you. What was he trying to say? He says this, you had better mark it down. You had better get it down. Don't forget this. If it was me saying it, I'd say put this on the list, all right? Kenny's heard that a lot this week. But anyway, I'd say mark it down. Don't forget this. We've got to do this, right? Mark it down. Be it known unto you. What I'm about to tell you is the absolute truth. That's what he was saying. That's what he was saying. So these individuals, they knew the truth. They knew the gospel. They knew according there in Acts chapter 13 who it was that forgave their sin. They knew who it was that justified them. They knew who it was that sacrificed and gave himself for the remission of sins. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ. They knew that this justification, the forgiveness of sin, the salvation they have now gained and experienced did not come from the law of Moses. They knew who it came from, and it came from Jesus Christ. Why? Because Paul preached the true gospel Unto them. But here in our text in Galatians chapter 1, they are now being led away by another, a completely different gospel. And by the way, this another gospel was no gospel at all. This another gospel was the false gospel of by law through works instead of by grace through faith. And we'll get to that in just a moment. So understand there is a, another gospel here. 
And it's one that's completely different from the real thing. So notice that. Okay, number four. Notice this. Paul's adversaries. Okay, look at verse number seven. After he talks about he's so he's marvelous, so soon removed from him that called you the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not, anoth- not which is not another. And he says this in verse seven, but there be some. But there be some that trouble you. And if you have a habit of marking your Bible, uh, circle that word some. All right. So there be some. Paul is letting them know that he knows. There are others out there and among them that are bringing in false teaching, false doctrine, and a false gospel. And those some, whoever they were, we don't know their name, but whoever they were, they are adversaries to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. They're adversaries to the true believers. Adversaries, listen, to the church of Jesus Christ. And here's what these adversaries were doing. Look, take, note, take note of these words. Look at verse number 7 again. Which is not another, but there be some that, circle this word, trouble you. That trouble you. This word means here, trouble, means to cause one to have inward commotion. It it means to take away the calmness of mind. It means to make you restless, to stir you up, to strike one's spirit with fear and dread, to make someone anxious or distressed, to confuse the mind by suggesting Doubts. This is what these, listen, Judaizers that were coming to Galatia were doing to the flock of God, were doing to the churches of Galatia. They were causing great fear and restlessness and doubts into the hearts and minds of God's people, and they were getting stirred up. The, one, the peace that they once had was there no longer. Why? Because of another gospel, and they were being troubled by it. Now, to try to illustrate this, uh, I'm going to try to. It's almost like... Um, let me take this paper off this water bottle here, all right? <clears throat> it's almost like uh, you have like a peaceful, calm day on the water, all right? But then a sudden storm arises out of nowhere, and it's not peaceful anymore. So it's almost like this water bottle. You would say the water inside is pretty calm for the most part, yes? All right. And all of a sudden, it's troubled by doing like this. It's just always stirred up, always moving around, just won't stop. Just keeps on stirred up. That's the kind of the word play here of being troubled. Just always stirred up. At one time it was very peaceful and calm. Why? Because you have the Prince of Peace in your heart. And all of a sudden, these Judaizers teaching another gospel stirs all of that up. And they're confused. They're troubled. They don't know what to do and which way to turn. And they're slowly turning away from the true gospel unto another. And they have no peace within. Listen, grace always leads to peace. You can even see that in verse number 3 of Galatians 1 when Paul says it this way, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father. Listen, grace leads to peace. But at this moment, these Galatian believers were not experiencing any peace. Why? Because they had deserted the grace that they once knew and they were moved to another gospel because they were troubled. But how are they doing this? How are they being caused to fear? How are they being stirred up from the once calmness and peace that they had through Christ? How are they now troubled? Well, here's how. Look at verse 7 again. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you, and here it is, and would pervert the gospel of Christ. These Judaizers, understand something, were perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the word pervert here, it means to turn about, to change, or here it is, to reverse. So these Judaizers, they were changing 
the true gospel. They were reversing the gospel of Christ. And we can kind of get a glimpse of what the, uh, these Judaizers were teaching when it came to different uh, churches established in Galatia. All right? Here's what they were teaching. And if you want to, again, put in the margin of your Bible, Acts chapter 15. Okay? I'll read verse number 1 for time's sake this evening. But Acts chapter 15 and verse number 1, the Bible says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, All right. Men from Judea, this is where they get the word Judaizers from, all right? Men from Judea, from a, a strict Jewish traditional background, here's what they were teaching. Taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. That's what they were teaching. They were teaching saved people this. Already born again believers, this. You cannot be saved unless... You're circumcised after the manner of Moses. Moses here, of course, being representative of the law, and circumcision was the covenant act to acknowledge that you are following the law. So here's what they were saying. They were saying you cannot really, truly be saved unless you are truly, really following the law. <laughs> so in this context, these false teachers were taking these born-again, truly saved, born-again, heaven-bound believers, here's what they were doing, taking them from grace back to law taking him from grace back to law instead of the law allowing them to lead them to the grace that's in Jesus Christ which by the way that's the intention behind the law alright understand that please let me read this to you Galatians chapter 3 we'll get there eventually but Galatians chapter 3 verse 24 through 25 says this wherefore the law Paul speaking he knew the law better than his Judaizers by the way he says this wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, meaning it's like a private tutor. Anybody had to have a private tutor in school? You had to, yeah, yeah, all right, a couple of us, all right. Had to have a private tutor, tutor. <laughs> in English, amen, all right, because we don't speak English, we speak American Appalachia, yeah, but anyway, yeah, thank you. So anyway, uh, we had to have a tutor, so it's like a one-on-one -on -one individual to bring you along. Okay, that's what a schoolmaster here is. It's wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us like, like hand in hand. I'm going to take you, take you along the way, bring you to where you need to go, bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. He didn't say justified by law. Justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster, but here, this is what these, these Judaizers were trying to do, bring them back to that schoolmaster, bring them back to that law. Look, keeping the law, understand something. We know this, but I'm just going to remind you, but keeping the law will not bring about salvation. The law, though, should bring us to the person of salvation. That's what it should do. The law, well, understanding the, the, the law in the Old Testament, that kind of thing, should bring us to Jesus, meaning this. Here we go. Keeping the Ten Commandments, understand, will not bring about salvation. It will not bring you into the exact right relationship with God. Saying I'm keeping the Ten Commandments is how I'm going to get to heaven ain't going to get you there, okay? That's about as plain as I can put it. But as you try to keep the Ten Commandments, which by the way, the Ten Commandments, just a little footnote here, is more like the main points to a message. And then under those main points, you've got a bunch of minor points. And of the minor points of the, of the law and of the commandments were about 613, okay? So when someone says, uh, when you ask them, how do you know you're going to heaven? Well, I'm just keeping the commandments. Oh, which, which 613 are you, are you keeping, you know? They'll be like, uh, the 10 ones, you know? 
Well, look, that's just the main points, really, if I had to put it up, trying to paint a, paint a picture for you. So when, when someone says they're trying to keep the commandments and this will get them or gain them access into heaven, I want to tell you something. They're lying, okay, because they can't. It's not possible to keep the commandments. So as you try to keep them, you quickly find out you can't, and therefore you try to find mercy somewhere and hopefully a merciful judge. When you break the law, anybody ever broke the law? Don't raise your hand, just kidding. <laughs> when you break the law, uh, when you get a speeding ticket and it's really bad, you can go before a judge and have a prayer for judgment. You know, you actually, what you're doing, what you're begging for mercy is what you're doing uh, kind of thing. When you break the law and you've been caught and you've done what's wrong, you hope when you have to go before a judge, that judge is very compassionate and merciful. And that all depends on how the guy before you was, all right? And if they rubbed him wrong, well, good luck, okay? But, uh, but anyway, but you want a judge that's merciful. And when you break the law of God's law, you want God to be merciful. But where are you going to find that mercy? You ain't going to find it in the law. But you will find it in Jesus Christ. Again, that's what the law does. It should bring us, look, we've broken God's law. Every man has sinned. Everyone's come short of the glory of God. Everyone has missed the mark, okay? We've all done it. We've all lied, which, by the way, that's part of God's law. Don't do it, and you've done it. We've all broke the law. We all have. And so we need mercy because of that. But where is that found? Not in the law, but in Jesus Christ. The law should bring us to a merciful judge, which is Jesus Christ. And when you come to Jesus, you will find there is much mercy and great grace and enough to spare. Amen. So understand, we don't have a relationship with God by keeping rules and regulations or by keeping the law. No, we have a relationship with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 2. Therefore... Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So the law should bring you to Jesus. Why? Because you can't keep it. But Jesus could keep you. So let it bring you to the Lord. But, but, in context here, there be some. There be some who are troubling these believers. There be some who are casting horrendous doubt in the mind of these new Christians by perverting the gospel, by bringing them back to the law, by reversing them, perverting, reversing them back to the law. That's what's going on in its immediate and historical context, okay? Here's the application. Today, we don't have Judaizers who are necessarily coming over from Judah, from the synagogues in that region, to our churches here today, trying to bring us back into their Jewish tradition. Uh, there might be some, but not, that's not real prevalent. All right? But there are still those today who would, listen, who would pervert the gospel. There will be those today who would say that salvation is this way. Yes, you need to believe on Jesus, but you also need to be baptized. Believe, yeah, but you better be baptized too. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this in service or not. I think I mentioned it in a Bible study one day, but it wasn't in, a, it wasn't in an auditorium service. 
But I remember after a baptism we had here at church, I think it was back in August, almost a year ago, uh, that, that afternoon uh, when I went to get in my truck after a meal with a visiting preacher, I had this book placed on my truck, all right? And it was under, it was, uh, uh, what's that thing that wipes the windshield? Windshield wiper? Okay. Anyway, the windshield wiper's on top of it, okay? Because he didn't want the wind to blow it away because he really wanted me to see it. But he opened it up to this portion of Scripture, uh, not Scripture, of this, of his book. It says, his Scripture's out of context that he puts in here. Anyway, because he was berating me because I did it wrong. Baptism was wrong. So after I read his little book and, and researched a little bit of his spiel, came to find out, you know what, I think we're right and he's wrong. And uh, because this individual would deny the Trinity, uh, this individual would say that, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard it called, modalism, all right, that basically means that, that Jesus is the Father and Jesus is the Holy Spirit and uh, they're not three in one, and three, is, it, three, three persons, right, three distinct in persons of the Trinity. No, he says all one and his name's Jesus kind of thing. So he would deny the existence of the Father and deny the existence of the Holy Spirit and just call him Jesus anyway. So he's wrong because he said, I, I baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit as we're commanded clearly in Matthew 28 to do so. Understand something. What this was was an attack on the truth. It's attack on, on Scripture, attack on the gospel. Because if you don't baptize the way they tell you to baptize, you weren't really baptized, nor are you really saved. You know, the question I have for these folks is this. How does the thief on the cross fit in their theology? <laughs> I mean, think about it. thief on the cross was, was not baptized, was he? He was not baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. According to them, he wasn't baptized in Jesus' name. He wasn't baptized at all. But how does he fit into their theology? They'll probably give some excuse. Oh, it was a spiritual baptism. That's what it really was. Well, okay. Uh, but it's not lining up with what you're teaching. You see, the thing is, they, they do hoops. They jump through hoops and, and try to do cartwheels around Scripture, trying to make it fit their ideology instead of just lining up with what the Bible says. Listen, the thief on the cross went to heaven. You know Why? Because he put his faith in Jesus Christ. That's why. He was saved by grace through faith. That's it. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel. But there's people today that would try to pervert that. Try to draw you away from the simplicity that we find in Christ. Remember that's what Galatians is all about. Bringing us back to Jesus. The simplicity that's in Christ. But people today would try to bring you out of that. And put you really back in some kind of bondage. But there'll be people today who will say, yes, believe on Jesus, but you better be baptized and better be the right way, or you're really not saved. There'll be people today who would say, you've got to join the church in order to be really saved, or be a really good person in order to be really saved, or do enough good works, and hope you had enough good works, and, and hope you took part enough in the sacraments of the church, and hope you prayed enough, and hope you prayed enough to Mary, and to angels, and dead saints, and pray the rosary, and this, and that, and the other, and all these other things you can add to it, and hopefully, maybe, if you did enough of those things, maybe, if you're lucky, you'll get to go to heaven. The Greek word for that is called hogwash. Man, that's a bunch of trash, all right? That's not the gospel. That's another gospel. That's man-made. To keep you in bondage, it's man-made. So here is the gospel. You ready? I want to remind you again of it. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 4, Paul writing, making it very simple to these Corinthian believers. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. Here it is. By which also ye are saved. What's the gospel, Paul? If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered unto you first of all that which also received. Here it is. Here's the gospel. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. So here's the simplicity we have in Christ and his gospel. Here it is. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of what Christ has done for you and I through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection, what he has done for you and I, he alone is the only one who is a, has the authority to define and offer salvation. And here's how he offers it. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 through 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Period. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. Nothing else. Nothing else. So Paul, he made it clearly known to these individuals the gospel, but they were adversaries. They are adversaries who were troubling the believers, adversaries who were perverting the gospel. And here's what Paul had to say to those people, those some others who would trouble and pervert the gospel. Here's what he says. Look at verse number 8. Verse number 8 and 9, he repeats himself here. And by the way, when, when the scripture repeats itself, it's not because it forgot what it said. It's for emphasis. And Paul is making a great emphasis here. Look at it, verse number 8 and 9. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Highlight, underline, circle that word, accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that I that we have received, let him be accursed. Now, this word accursed here in the Greek is this, anathema. Uh, and this word means something dedicated for destruction. It means something that is set aside to suffer the most extreme of sufferings. And we know the place that is set aside for the most extreme of suffering. The Bible makes it plain and clear that place, which is real, by the way, is the place of hell. All right? You can find that in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. The devil don't like it, does he? No, he doesn't. Anyway. You can find it in Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 31. And, of course, you can read about it in Revelation chapter 20 when it talks about the lake of fire. But that place is reserved for the worst and extreme of suffering. So in essence, here's what Paul is saying. If someone preaches another gospel, a false gospel, here's what he's saying. Let them be accursed. Let them be anathema. Let them go to hell. That's what he's saying. So would you agree with me this, this evening, this will be some serious wordage that Paul is trying to get across to these believers about the false teachers they've allowed to come in and to teach them of another gospel. That's some very serious wording. Very serious wording. But this is how serious Paul is about the true gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how serious Paul is about the, the, about the truth. This is how serious Paul is about the church. This is how serious Paul is about these believers he loves so, so dearly. I like what one author said. He said the gospel is God's remedy for the lost. 
How fearful a crime, therefore, to try to poison the well of salvation. And Paul was trying to warn them to not go after another gospel. So, this false doctrine, these false teachers, they're bringing this false doctrine into the churches, whether knowingly or unknowingly. Listen, here's what they were doing. Allowing the church, allowing the truth to be attacked by the devil. It was an attack on the faith. It was an attack on the fellowship of believers. It was hurting, dividing the churches there in Galatia. And Paul was having none of it. So he sits down right in the very beginning of the letter and he makes this announcement. If they're going to preach another gospel, let them be accursed. Ooh, I don't know about you, but if I got this letter from Paul as the elder of that church in Galatia, and I read that, and I'm like, ooh. Um, Jethro from Judah. Uh, you may want to leave right now, friend, all right? Paul is a-coming, okay? And so is Jesus. And you better get right or you're going to get gone, you know what I'm saying? But that's some serious wording, serious wording that he's giving to these individuals because anyone that was going to be a part of a false gospel was going to be a curse. So Paul, he wasn't messing around. He wasn't playing patty cake with these guys, and we shouldn't either. We shouldn't hold hands with false gospel teachers or preachers. We need to mark them and avoid them. So Paul starts out, really starts out with a bang. And we're only nine, nine verses in to this book. But he starts out with a bang, starts out strong, and lets them know what this is all about. But understand, this does not come from a heart of hate. This does not come from a place of pride. This comes from love, from a, from a, love, for a love for the Lord, a love for the truth, a love for the gospel. Again, that is, this, that is the central theme of this entire book is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ the Lord. That is the central theme. And so his love for the Lord, his love for the truth, his love for these believers, that's his motivation. And yes, he starts off strong, but he needed to. Because you shouldn't have to mess around. We don't need to mess around with false teaching and false gospel. He said, 